I'm going to pray for us, and then, and then we'll jump into Genesis 1, or Genesis 3, sorry, Genesis 3, we're going to be in the whole chapter. Pray with me. Oh God, we come um, just expectant to hear from you today. God, I even come, I studied all week and uh, even today was just looking at my notes and, and yet I come to this afternoon saying, God, I just want to hear from you. God, it can't be our wisdom that we build our lives upon. God, it can't be our greatest thoughts or the greatest thoughts of any man or woman. But God, we need to hear from you if we're going to live and so I pray, God, by your mercy today, that as we, as we come to your word, God, you'll just open it to us in a real special, real unique way that we will all leave feeling um, and, and knowing the reality of what freedom looks like in Jesus Christ, who created the whole world and then still speaks into it love and forgiveness. And I, I pray, Father, that we will, we will hear clearly in Jesus' name, amen. So this week, I have felt, um, it's just been one of those weeks where you really feel profoundly the fall. And it's been for a lot of reasons, and some of them were just me. I don't know if you ever have those weeks. Um, but then... I don't, I don't know where you guys go, if any of you guys follow the news, but I follow Google News. I think it's a Frederick habit. Um, but, you know, you, I was really looking intently at it this week, uh, especially as we, we came up to Genesis 3, talking about the curse and the fall. And, and news is fairly depressing um, in, in general. Uh, and Thursday night... Friday morning, the news broke, but Thursday night, something happened in Aurora, Colorado, which I think a lot of you guys are, are probably familiar with. Um, in a previewing of the, the third of the Batman trilogy, called The Dark Knight Rises, um, a man, uh, age 24, named James Holmes, um, paid with everyone else to get into movie theater, and when he got into the movie theater, he propped the back exit door open, went outside, and got an artillery of weapons and came back in and did the, the, greatest, uh, the greatest amount of injuries and, and deaths ever altogether in the history of the United States as far as a, 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 just a general killing. This is what happened Thursday night. And this is a man that no one suspected. He was a, a neuroscience uh, PhD at University of Colorado. He had a lot going for him. He was um, nominated and accepted into the Phi Beta Kappa um, fraternity, which is very elite. I was nominated but not accepted. So he beat me right there. Uh, he, he, was, he was brilliant for all accounts, and no one saw this coming, and yet he, he came and did this, and and so Friday evening, after I'd gone to a concert and I went back home, and, or not to my home, I went to my parents' home and I was talking with my dad and he said, should we, should we maybe address this on Sunday morning, maybe change the content of the sermon so, so we can cover this? And I said, well, I think, I think Sunday might, might cover it in a little, little bit. 
as we talk about the curse. Because we've come through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and hopefully along the way we've been amazed by God um, and been amazed by his thoughts of us, his plans for us. Um, And yet we come to the end of that and then we look around and we listen to the music and we listen to the movies and we see the culture and we hear the language and we, we, we listen and we go, so, so what happened? We, we get that general sense of distress in the world and we go, so, so what happened? And how do we as Christians still believe in love and believe in a God who answers prayer and a God who offers hope to the hopeless, right? God offers hope to a situation like Aurora, Colorado. Um, And we have to ask ourselves these questions, especially as you see, what do people do? They gather. I mean, people who have believed before and people who haven't believed, they all gather around this theater. They gather around the high schools in the local area and they all pray. Can God give us hope? And the Christian message is, yes, God does indeed give us hope. But how have we ended up here? So I'm going to do just a quick run through again of what we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2, and then we'll jump into Genesis 3. Um, Genesis 1. God creates the world, the heavens and the earth, out of nothing. And he hovers over it. It says it's, it's formless and void, and the Spirit hovers over it, and he gives shape to it all. He creates it not only by his word, but he creates it for his word. In Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it talks about it in this way, um, talking about Jesus and his place is supreme over over everything. And it says this, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, in the beginning, we couldn't look at the world and go, oh, look, it's awesome, but, oh, it's broken. Right? In the beginning, all you get is this sense of blessing, and over and over again, Actually, 80 times in the whole book of Genesis, but it's launched in this first chapter of Genesis, is this idea of blessing, as God creates and then blesses, creates and then blesses, and says, this is awesome. I just, I love it. Right? And he's so thrilled with the world he creates. And it's all created to center around him. So that's Genesis 1. The world's created, it's beautiful, and it's created to center around, around him. Genesis 2. The world is, as, uh, as Megan put it on, on Wednesday for our community group so well, she said that the world wasn't just created um, just to be matter, but, but to receive a message, right? And that message wasn't intended just for whales, but it was intended for human beings, right? The, 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 the Bible wasn't created in this language of... I think that's how whales sound, right? 
So <laughs> that's, that's not, the, the message of the Bible isn't articulated in that way, but the message of the Bible is articulated to be understood and not, not just his articulate word, but, but creation itself, right, is meant to be accessed by human beings by telescope and by microscope and all these things are meant to explore and we're filled with this sense of that. But beyond that, beyond that, um, that creative charge, human beings were breathed into by God to be alive in a special way. And that life was meant to be tied in with God himself as he gives us his spirit to dwell in us. And what that looks like, in Galatians it would later talk about a life filled by the spirit, and that is a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so that was, that was this early world inhabited by by crawling things and jumping things and swimming things, but inhabited especially as it narrows in in chapter 2 upon human beings who the rest of the Bible is written for. We're special. That's Genesis 2. We are extremely special. So, what happened? And I want us to take this really seriously as we walk towards it. Because, because for such a serious question, we only want a true answer. Right? It's not worth messing around. Right, do you guys believe that? Can we maybe shut the back door? I'm, I'm, I have really sensitive hearing and hear this in the background every once in a while. Um, and you guys don't want to see my dance moves. Um, <laughs> That's, you'd be like, that's the fall, right? Um, <laughs> right, so for such a serious question, we need a serious answer. And people are offering answers. People offer so many. And, and so I, I stand before you guys really, really familiar with the answers that are offered. And I, I want to just lay that out there with you guys, Right? I got my degree studying philosophy and I got a, a minor in history, another minor in religious studies, right? Because I really wanted, I wanted not just to, to, you know, think my own thoughts and think I was super cool and argue with people my whole life, but some people want to do that. Um, but I really was, was wondering, like, like I, I need to know, right? I need to know because because we are unique in that in that we really ask questions and we really want them answered, right? And we know that if maybe those questions are answered, that maybe we'll know how to live, right? I, I see, I'm going to pick on somebody right now, right? And I can see like the eagerness in Garrett's eyes every week as we sit down, right? And we're going through the Bible and the eagerness to go, how should I live, right? I want to know that, right? And it's fun to interact with this because honestly, I, like I'm still figuring it out as I'm sitting down with him, going like yeah, I think this is what it means, and this is kind of cool, and, and how are we going to do this together, <laughs> right? And so as we look at this, as we jump into Genesis 3, as we jump into Genesis 3, I want you guys to know that this is seriously what we're offering. This is seriously what I'm offering to you guys as where it went wrong. And anytime you guys ask yourself, what happened 
what happened that you come back to this and you go, I think this is what, I, this is what happened. Right? Because the answer comes out of the issue. Does that make sense? So, so oftentimes we talk so much about, about what, um, about what the, the solution is but oftentimes we talk about the solution or even, even sin in this really general sense and you guys are going, but I don't, don't, don't peg that one on me. Right? Like how did, I don't know how we got here. So we have to come back to this, this, the origin of, of where things came to be. So Genesis 3, if you guys want to turn there with me, we're going to read through it. Genesis 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate some of it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man, where are you? Where are you? So what happened? Well, the first thing shared is this, this, this serpent, this random serpent that shows up. Um, and, you know, we want to know where that serpent come from, who's that serpent, why does it tempt Adam and Eve? And, and we'll, I'm going to jump into that a little bit, but it's easy for us. As you listen to this, I want you guys to realize that, that when, when Moses offered this to the children of Israel, he didn't go into a long explanation of who the serpent was. And I think part of that is because, because we oftentimes play the blame game, as Allison accused me of on Friday. Right, we play the blame game. <laughs> I had left Nate's power cord at the church, and I made an excuse for it. Right, we play the blame game, and what we can do with the, the serpent is we can go, okay, well, we know that the serpent is Satan. And so you know what I'm going to do? Whenever I have a conflict, I'm just going to go ahead and blame Satan for it, Right? Oh, I had a conflict at work, right? Things aren't going well. There's disunity, right? And people are freaking out, right? Satan's fault, right? And then we're going, oh, well, I have a conflict in my home, right? Me and my wife fought. Oh, it's Satan's fault, right? Oh, you know what? There's a lot going on in my own heart, and I don't understand myself, and I, I hate myself, and I'm a, you know, and all these things, it's Satan's fault. And you know what we do with that? You know what we do with that all the time? is we go, oh, it's Satan's fault. <laughs> so we're going to look at, and it actually is Satan here in the garden. But, you know, but we're not, in Genesis, it doesn't allow us to play that blame game, right? And you know why? Why? Because 
Adam and Eve were given responsibility. It says, and you can rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and I want you to, I want you to care for it. I want you to steward this. This is a gift I'm giving you guys. And so you know what Eve should have done? She should have said, shut up, you're a serpent. You know, stuck it to him. <laughs> but she didn't, and she had this conversation with him. And in 2 Corinthians 12.3, and I'm going to share this with you um, for two reasons. One, so that you can see um, biblically how it talks about him being, Satan being the, uh, the serpent, but also how this talks about us in this same relationship. Uh, I don't know if this was the right verse. Let me see if it's 1 Corinthians. One second. No, it's not. Well, there we go. Um, so, <laughs> huh? Satan's fault. No. So, so the passage I'm looking for was uh, where where it says that the Eve was deceived. Oh, I think it. Yeah, here it is. Okay, it's in eleven, not twelve. Thank you. We're we're drawn in. This is just a lot of fun this morning, huh? Second um, Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Right. And so just as Eve was led away by the serpent's cunning, that you also would be led away from your sincere devotion to Christ. Right. So so not only do we look back and. And we're, it's, what's taken away from us is our ability just to read this is this like this thing that happened a long time ago. But God's going, I want you to understand that your your sincere devotion to Christ is also under that same temptation to go. Well, you know, I'm struggling as a Christian. Satan's fault. So that's taken away from us. And what, goes, what ensues here is this conversation between, between the woman and the serpent. And this is what it looks like. Satan says to her, did God really say to you that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden, that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And that's a ridiculous question because they're not killing animals. So of course they have to eat from the trees in the garden, right? So the way this, this begins is an innocent conversation where, where the serpent, Satan, presents to Eve this question. And it's an innocent question. Well, did God really say this to you? And what's hidden in that question not so unobviously, is, is a doubt of God, right? A doubt of God that, that you know, is, is God really saying this to you? Because that just doesn't seem rational. And it's an irrational question because they have to eat from the trees in the garden. And Eve responds to him very honestly. And she says, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat from from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil.
And I don't know what's going on in Eve's heart at this point, but, but she doesn't add the consequence. Right? As she works through this with him. And, and I, I want us to see as, as we go through this that, that Satan is just kind of trolling her along. And how often it's so easy for us to walk down that, that same path of an easy conversation and walking into the contradiction. As what Satan goes to her next, he says, Well, you surely will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. So what starts out as an innocent conversation leads to a direct contradiction. And what, what begins as a direct contradiction leads to an opposing promise. And from an opposing promise, I say it leads to an appealing prospect, right? The promise is that, well, don't worry about it, right? You don't have to worry about the consequences here. What God said to you isn't true. The promise is that they could be like God, that they would know good and evil. And the prospect to her that becomes so appealing after she's walked down this road is that it's, it's good, right? It's good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and it's desirable for gaining wisdom. And in a rejection of this, oftentimes in an effort to win back our doubt, that we live in. We set up these moral laws like, okay, well, if something's good and it's desirable, then I probably shouldn't do it. Right? And so we try to uphold that one first. And so we Christians become super boring. Right? Going, well, if it's good, good for food, if it's pleading to the eye, if it's desirable for gaining wisdom, then I probably just shouldn't do it. Right, in an effort just to kind of harness our own. <laughs> it's like we've, we've pushed the sled down the mountain, like Calvin and Hobbes, right? And we're, we're heading down the mountain. And we're like, okay, I need to stop this somehow. But we're so far, we're so far going that we go, okay, what's good for, for food and pleasing the eye and, and seems like you present wisdom. We just have to, we have to throw that aside but I want to, I want to encourage you guys with a couple of things. And the, the first is, how, what do we do? What do you do with this this doubt that creeps up? Because I think doubt is, is the number one condemner of a Christian, as far as what causes them, what leads them into struggle. Um, and I talk to people constantly that are, are are struggling with this. And pastors aren't exempt from this. And so what do we do when the conversation has already begun? What do we do when the conversation has already begun and the question has already come up? Or maybe the offer's already been made? And oftentimes when I talk to, I'll just throw out this example, oftentimes when I talk to guys who are struggling with um, addictions like, like a pornography or um, 
or man, they just can't, they feel like they can't stop walking down a path like that. And part of it's because, because they're pretty far down the conversation. Right? The conversation's been going on for a long time. And so what, is, what is, appears good, good to the senses, pleasing to the eye, and offering some sort of wisdom, some sort of experience, when the conversation has gone on for so long, what happens is there's a reversal of roles. And I'm just using this as one example, and there's a lot of examples I can use. What happens is that there's a reversal of roles where rather than being willing to sit in the seat of judgment, we flip it and God sits in the seat of judgment, right? C.S. Lewis called this God in the docks, right? Where, where instead of us sitting in the seat of judgment, being willing to receive what God is going to give us, which is a reprimand, saying, no, remember what I called you to. Remember the life that I called you to. Remember that I said you could eat of any of these trees, but if you eat of this one, you will surely die. And he goes, but if you want to know anything more than that, if you want to know the result of evil in your life, come talk to me. Right, come talk to me about it. I will, I will show you. So you don't have to know in experience what that death's like, but you can know in truth what that death is like because I will explain it to you. And so with this reversal of roles, God sits in the seat of judgment and, what, and, and, and so doubt will always present to us a place where, where, where we have come to a point of discomfort in our relationship with God and rather than going... God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. We accuse God of holding something back from us. And it doesn't have to happen, like, verbally by us going, God, you've held something back from me. Right? But in our hearts, we start feeling like, God, I know that, that you don't, you know, want me to, I'll just, you don't want me to do this, X, Y, and Z. Right? But God, you are holding something back from me now. Why would you hold something back from me? And so, so in our lives, doubt always brings a destruction of relationship with God because first of all, God is dethroned and we're throned to a place where, where he now is the culprit and we are the ones that have the power to pursue whatever we please. Rather than hear from him, this is the good way, walk in it. Does that make a little sense? So God is dethroned and we are enthroned in a place where, where we can look at him and go, you've treated me wrongly, where are my rights? So this leads to a fear because wherever there's a power struggle, there's a fear. Wherever we're trying to take power from God, right? ultimately that's what it is, there's this fear, and that fear is expressed in, for Adam and Eve, a nakedness, right? It says that they, they realized that they were naked, and so they tried to cover themselves. So rather than God covering them... <laughs> with his wisdom, his knowledge, his presence, and then just being able to be vulnerable with them, they have, they have dethroned him from that place in their life. And there's a fear because now they have to uphold their position somehow. 
somehow they have to uphold their position, right? If they've taken a stand against God, somehow they have to be able to say to him, I have a right to maintain this position. And so God comes walking in the cool of the day. And his presence terrifies them because how will they uphold how will they uphold their position in the presence of God who actually does have power? And so what ensues is not just a separation between themselves and God, but blame and separation from each other. And that's what happens next in verse 10 where it says, he said, I heard Adam says to God, he says, I heard you were in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And this is a different form of questioning that God gives to them than the serpent gives to them. Well, while Satan, the serpent, is trying to, to put into them doubtful thoughts, God is trying to get from them what's actually in their heart. Right? He really wants to hear. He says, what's happened? But rather than revealing what's actually in their hearts, rather than saying, God, know me, what they do is go, I don't, I don't think you need to know me. I think you need to know her. Right? And then so God comes to Eve and he says, Eve, will you show me your heart? Can I see it? And she says, I don't think you need to know me. I think you need to know the serpent. Don't know me. You don't want to know me. And so this separation is created not only between themselves and God, but between themselves one against the other. And so what comes is a, is a, a curse. And we're going to deal with this, but, but first... Before the curse even comes, I want us to to look at this one more time and just say, is this where it all comes from? Is this where it all comes from? Is this where conflict in the world, conflict in ourselves, is this where all of it comes from? Does this explain it? And so I'm going to put it in really simple terms and say why I think this explains it. Okay? In real simple terms. This is what it looks like. God created the whole world for himself. Right? God can do that. Like Nate said earlier, he's holy, holy, holy. He does things that we can't imagine. Right? Anything that you create, I could ask any of you to draw a picture for me. And it would only have within that picture something that is already represented in the world. Right? Your imagination only goes so far. Right? We are limited Beings that think we are so ingenious. And we are. And we are. And you know why? Because God 
placed us in this world, and he says, I want you, create, I want you to, to live in this world and rule over it in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that's going to be awesome. Right? You're going you're gonna to rule this world in such a way that the lion can lay down with the lamb. Right? That your children can grow up and just enjoy each other and not fight all the time. Right? He created a world for this. To shine back to him what his character is. And man, ultimately, as he loves God and is loved by God. We believe that that, that is the purpose of the whole world. Right? That's in relationship with God. In a genuine sense of, of love. Right? marinate in that for a while. Because I don't get this, guys. So often I don't. I, I was praying earlier this week. I was like, God, I feel like I'm missing something. And, and I felt like his word to me was, he goes, Daniel, you just don't love very well. And that's not easy to hear, first of all. Um, but I realize that oftentimes when I read the scripture, when I read the Bible, I don't get a lot of it. You know why? Because I don't love very well. <laughs> And God's going, I created you guys to, to know what love is, to be loved and to love other people, right? So if I come and I just like throw truth at you guys and right, I don't get it and you don't get it. And you know why? Because, because this all is offered to us because, because God still loves us. <laughs> but in the beginning, there, there was no... There was no conflict going in on our heads and there was no conflict going on in our hearts. And we were able just to abide in relationship with him and that was so good and it was life. What would it be like just to know God and not have that, not have any barriers to that? That was what it was like. And so when, when the deception entered the world, the you don't have to rely upon God. And what happened was a separation between you and your maker. And then you and each other. That, well, that spiraled absolutely out of control, right? Where we don't know if we can trust God anymore. We don't know if we can trust each other anymore. right? And we can blame each other. And so ultimately, what the message of the scriptures is that it all comes down to this. It all comes down to relationships broken. Relationships broken and relationships restored. But we haven't come to the restoration part yet. We've just come to the relationship broken part. And guys, any time you see suffering or pain or conflict or evil in the world, it's because relationships have been broken. Right? So, so if you guys even come on a Sunday morning and you leave not feeling like you built relationships with each other, but you just got a lot of this going on, you've missed it. Because everything that's been offered to us in the Bible, and hopefully everything I'm saying to you has been offered so you can love again and you can receive love again. Because ultimately, Adam and Eve forgot that God loved them. And he had the best in mind for them. That what he was offering was the, the best thing possible. And they believed that someone else offered something better. 
And so as this spiraled out of control, God then approaches the serpent and man and woman in this part where we call the curse. And he says to the serpent, he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The woman he said, to, he, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pains you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat from the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. So there's a lot in there, and I'm not going to unpack that all for you guys, but I will unpack some of it. And part of that is, is it seems it seems hard, and um, and I, and part of it is meant to be seen as so when we. First, let's wrap our mind around the idea of a curse. Um, the curse involves a separation from a place of blessing. So they lived in a place of blessing, and they themselves separated themselves from the blessing, and so the curse remains on them. Right? So God wasn't just coming up with these punishments. He wasn't just going, okay, sit in the corner for 10 minutes. <laughs> but what happened was, was really the, the, the expected result from the separation happening between them and God. So what happens, uh, so with the, the, the snake, right, for his participation, he has to, to be in this humble position, right? And as we know, if you read in Ezekiel, it was because of Lucifer's pride, right? And so the snake and its participation had to, had to be the lowest among all creatures. And then it says, but, you're, but the, the offspring of the woman, literally the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. And we'll get back to that. But for the woman, this is the hard one. I think this is the most challenging. It says that, that the relationship between her and her husband will be marred, which we understand from the, the fall. Where there was meant to be gentleness and kindness, there is now blame and separation. She'll have pain in childbearing, and I believe that, that part of that pain is that with each child, no longer is that child being born into a world where the Prince of Peace rules, right? But that child is born into a world of pain and conflict. There's now a, an incredible reality in the world of brokenness and of separation from its true comforter, who is God. 
And so it says that the woman's desire would be for her husband. And it says that he will rule over her. And some of this curse is really hard to understand because of this, because it points at things that, that aren't necessarily bad, but they're showing how they're broken. Does that make sense? So it's showing later man's relationship with the earth, and it says with sweat and toil, you'll bring produce from the ground. And is work bad? Contrary to what you might think, it's not bad. Adam's first charge to the world was that he would, he would work and he would labor in it and bring forth produce. But he says, now your relationship with the world is broken. And it's going to look different as you try to get your produce from the ground. Right? With the woman, he says, were you meant to have children? Yes. But there's going to be conflict. There's going to be brokenness in that now. And so as we, as we look at this, oftentimes I think we see it as going, as God adding these unfair consequences. But what's happened is the, the, the product of the comforter being withdrawn because we have separated ourselves from the comforter. Does that make sense? So we've separated ourselves from the one who comforts and the one who assuages our pain, right? The one who, who takes away the needless labor that we bear. But in this, even in this very curse, I believe there's this incredible message of hope. And it's this. We'll, we'll wrap up with this. That in Jesus we see the fulfillment of the blessing that was lost in the curse. Uh, and won through his own conflict. In toil, he lived for 30 years, working as any man would work for his living. In the enmity you see of the curse, in the rejection you see of the curse, he was rejected and laughed at by men. In the struggle, he struggled with the sins that every single person does, but he overcame in a way that no one could. In pain, he underwent more pain than anyone else because he not only lived bearing the consequences of the curse, but he bore the pain, the pain of all humanity who underwent that curse. In the labor, it says that he sweat drops of blood as he prepared to take our sin in the thorns and the thistles that would sprout up from that ground, he bore, as it says, he bore a crown of thorns. As men knew that they were now from dust and to dust they returned, he would experience the death that all men would experience. But he would be the seed, the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The theme of the seed, offspring, genealogy, all that is contained 60 times in Genesis. And the reason why it talks about it so much in Genesis, the book of beginnings, is because, because there was this constant longing for what might be made right after what was made broken. And so we look for Jesus. 
And Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5 is called the second Adam. It says, though all sin, was, although all sin came through him, through the first Adam, through the second Adam, justification would be brought, that sin could be made new. So what do we do? My recommendation is first that we stop hiding. And we need to do it especially, I think, in as we listen to something like this and we go, oh God, I see the brokenness around me. And I maybe see the brokenness that I've participated in my own life. God, what do I do now? Well, the first thing, stop hiding. Be vulnerable with God. Rather than going, that guy's more broken than me. And it could be a coworker, right? It could be a coworker that you're going, that guy's more broken than me, right? So I'm doing okay still. But God's saying, no, I want you to be vulnerable with me. So drop our excuses and our self-reliance and put our trust in him, the one who spoke goodness into the world can restore our goodness and be convinced that in Jesus Christ your relationship with God can be restored. This is the, this is the promise of the scripture and as you guys open your Bibles and, and sometimes the word of God can seem so puzzling to us and the reason why the word of God seems so puzzling to us is because because we've separated ourselves so far from his word right so where Adam and Eve in the garden heard the word of God and it was life to them immediately when the doubt entered their lives and they they accused God and they separated themselves from what his word would be we separate ourselves so far from him and so as we enter his word we're going God what does that say? What does that mean? And so, as we, as we finish up singing together and worshiping together, I ask you guys just to, to with me, um, come before God and say, God, I don't want to be on the throne anymore where I judge you, but God, I want you to see me in a place where I'm the vulnerable one. Right? See me in such a way that God, I just, want, I just want to allow you to speak into my life your words of life. God, speak into me, and I want to trust those words because if we've harbored doubts for a very long time, thinking that we can just spout verses or, or say truth and somehow because we can say it, participate in it, guys, I want us just to be vulnerable and say, God, maybe here are the doubts that I've brought this morning or the doubts that I woke up with, um, and really come to him and say, God I, God, I ask that you'll expose those things to me, and that you'll know them. So God, those can be done away with, and I can hear your words again, your words of life and your words of love, and we can be restored in that. And, and guys and girls, I know talking to, to both of you, you guys struggle with things very different. And, 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 I, and maybe what you'd think, this is what I'd talk to a pastor about. I want you guys to talk with God about. Right? I want you guys to be really honest as we worship now. And just, just come to him and go, God, 
I've made so many crazy excuses for this. And maybe some of that is, well, Satan's been tempting me. But God, in Christ, I know, I know that I can live and walk in life, true life, and I want that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then as we sing, just be honest with God, guys. Be honest with God, and don't harbor doubts between you and him. Because in Christ, we can be restored completely. Pray with me. I got in the old hymn, it says, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners wash beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains and I, and I pray God that as we sing together God that we will come just to your feet and say you're the Lord I'm going to stop looking at you and judging you God I want you to look at me and speak honestly what you see. God, I want you to see my brokenness and maybe the ways I still live in shame. God, I pray by your spirit we can just be honest with you right now about that. God, you and you would revive us completely. I thank you for, for Rocky and Angelica's willingness just to be open with the church and be restored completely, God, and we need that restoration altogether. God, we've been so loose with our tongues. We've been so hurtful with our hearts. God, we have separated ourselves from each other and from you, and I pray, God, for your restoration today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.